It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. You are locked on Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into your daily source for the Cincinnati Reds throughout the offseason. This is the Locked On Reds podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Carr. The show goes on! And here we go. What's up, Reds fans? Welcome in to the Locked On Reds podcast. It is a Monday. Let's start the week by talking some Reds baseball. Thank you so much for joining me today. On today's show, going to talk some headlines with the Reds. Going to get into a player that I think we've all forgotten about, but he is going to be a huge factor this season. And also, I want to introduce a new segment. Today in Reds Awesomeness, we're going to look back because, well, you know what? I'll get into that here in a little bit. But before we do, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast on all the many podcasting platforms. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three F's and follow the show at Lockdown Reds and save the Lockdown Reds line number into your phone. 513-549-0159. So let's start off with some headlines. So let's begin today. We're looking at a couple of different things. The Reds announced their Major League Spring Training non-roster invitees. A nice little list of players. Most, you know, there's some pitchers in here, some infielders, all the good stuff. Let's get into them. We've got RJ Alanese. Of course, he pitched a decent amount last season. You also have David Carpenter. He is a new acquisition. They kind of picked him up based on their driveline connection with Kyle Bodie. Then you've also got Vladimir Gutierrez, who was highly touted as a pitching prospect last year, but kind of underperformed a little bit. He'll be in spring training, as well as left-hander Nick Lodolo. Last year's first-round pick, pitched a lot in college, didn't pitch a ton in the minors because he pitched a lot in college. Got to see him in Dayton. Very 
good control of the strike zone. I'll be interested to see him in spring training. Also, Alex Powers, a right-handed pitcher. Brooks Raley, a left-handed pitcher. And Tyler Thornburg, a guy who I, I think I've mentioned it before, back when the Reds picked him up. He was a future closer of the Brewers, a former future closer of the Brewers. Yeah. And most recently pitched with the Red Sox. Not great numbers with the Red Sox, but the Reds look to kind of reclaim his uh, better stuff. Also happening since the last time we talked, the Reds officially avoided arbitration with all of their arbitration-eligible players. They signed Kurt Casale to a one-year $1.4 million deal. Michael Lorenzen got $3.725 million. Anthony DiSclefani at $5,975,000, just a shade under $6 million for Anthony DiSclefani, and Matt Bowman at 865000 Also, the other guy uh, who is arbitration eligible, he's our focus for the day. I swear to God, I'm smart. Looking at Trevor Bauer. Dude got $17.5 million. That is the second largest arbitration contract number for a pitcher. Uh, it's it's right underneath a couple like about a million and a half underneath David Price, who set the record with the Red Sox at nineteen and a half million dollars. So about two million short of that. Here's the thing, though. That I've I've been reading some different things. There are some outlets out there that believe that Trevor Bauer will actually be the most valuable Red in 2020, at least as far as wins above replacement, are concerned. And I think it's interesting because the way that he performed after he was acquired by the Reds in the trade that sent Taylor Trammell to San Diego and Yasiel Puig to Cleveland, I think some folks kind of gave him an unfair shake. Now, granted, he didn't perform great. His numbers will tell you that. He, you know, in interviews, there there was a, I remember distinctly, there was kind of like almost an exit interview, if, if you want to call it that, at the end of the season with Trevor Bauer, just kind of, C. Trent was talking with him for the Athletic and just trying to, you know, unpack what Trevor Bauer thought about his own performance, and a lot of it had to do with things he really had no idea. It was almost as if he, he was just like, man, I don't know what's going on. But at the same token, he would tell you it wasn't great. And, and as a Red in 10 starts, he had an ERA over 6. Not fantastic at all. Here's the thing, though. If you look at those numbers, because we as fans, as much as we watch guys, statistics also help us out as well. If you look at those numbers... He pitched more innings last year than he ever has in his career. He has never eclipsed 200 innings. He did last year. So, I mean, it's not to make an excuse, but it's kind of to say that he was almost in uncharted territory. He pitched 150 and some change innings with the Indians before he came over to the Reds, and he pitched right around 56 innings for the Reds. 
so maybe that was fatigue. Maybe that was, I mean, there was some speculation that a lot of his lackluster performance with the Reds comes from him pitching through injuries. Some things that maybe he could have sat out and healed. I think he's going to come into this season fully healed. And that's where we're getting some of these projections. Looking at a couple of different ones of those fan graphs, uh, the couple of different projections that they have between depth charts and steamer, have him as a four-win player. They think that he will pitch right around 200 innings with an ERA of 3.9 or you know, thereabouts. That's what their projection system has come up with for Trevor Bauer. And I think it's important to remember the value that he brings. And I, I, I get it. Some folks like to say, well, you know, I don't like him because he's an outgoing personality. He's kind of, you know, he says what he thinks, that sort of thing. Think of anyone in your daily life most people have an opinion on those types of guys. Whenever they come to outgoing people, you you rarely ever see a sort of middle-of-the-road opinion. People either love him or they hate him. And I get that. I, I'm pretty excited to have Trevor Bauer on the team. He's got a nasty curveball that I look forward to Derek Johnson kind of, you know, refining over the offseason. And I'm sure, you know, if you've read the MVP machine, it talks about Trevor Bauer's exhaustive offseason performance, uh, you know, getting ready for the next season. So he's going to be tweaking that. He's going to be fixing out some things and getting ready for 2020 because I believe, and with him signing the deal to avoid arbitration, I don't know if you caught up with that last season with the Indians. He actually went to arbitration with the Indians. And he wasn't happy. Now, now he, he even came out and said, I don't blame the Indians organization. But he felt like the whole entire arbitration process was an assassin. This is a quote, an assassination of his character. I think he wanted to avoid that. But also, I think the bigger picture with these guys, all five guys avoiding arbitration, everyone is bought in to the idea of this team in 2020. And Trevor Bauer signing a deal, not going to arbitration, not you know going through the whole rigmarole of trying to get as much money as he possibly can out of this one season, I think he is bought in as well. And he is going to be an absolute asset and one of the reasons that this is probably the best rotation in the National League. I mean, it's arguable. Obviously, there's other teams that you can throw in there to argue with it, but the Reds are in the conversation. We're no longer talking about the Reds throwing out pitchers out there that none of us have ever heard of. No, we've got some elite arms on the mound each and every day. And I look forward to seeing what can happen. Trevor Bauer is going to be a major part. I'm not ready to say that he's going to be the most important part, but he's going to be a major part of this awesome rotation. Coming up, we've got a new segment, and I've got a special guest that's going to join me for this new segment I'm very excited about. It. I think you're going to enjoy it quite a bit. But first, have you booked your trip out to Arizona yet? Because Goodyear as a, and Cactus League action is 
upon us. We're, we're almost there, folks. We're almost to spring training baseball. Pitchers and catchers report in like a month. Like literally a month. Maybe a month and a day. Something like that. But not far off now. The best way to get ready, the best way to book your trip to Arizona is through visitarizona.com slash spring training. You can book all aspects of your trip, whether it be hotel, whether it be tickets to the game, airline, excursions, all the stuff. There's so much to do in and around Goodyear, and you've got pretty much every single Cactus League spring training team within like a 50-mile radius of Goodyear, I mean, at least of Phoenix. And that is phenomenal because if you're like me and you can watch baseball all day, every day, and it does not matter who's playing, Arizona is the place to be. And check it out with visitarizona.com slash springtraining today to get out there for some baseball because it's almost back, people. It's almost back. Visit Arizona.com slash spring training. New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying around can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. In sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Did I mention there are no fees, period? This one is a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member FDIC. Today I want to introduce a new segment. Today we are starting Today in Red's Awesomeness. And I know I just said the word today uh, a whole lot. But but today I, I, I really want to look back on Red's championship teams. We're going to do this uh, you know, once a Monday for the next couple of weeks. And I got a special guest joining me to do just that. But the reason that I want to do that is because we have so much high expectations for 2020. I think it's important to look back and see just how awesome the history of this team is. I mean, I know we spent the entire last year, you know, 150 and all that different stuff, looking back at all of the Reds' history. But let's look back at the most awesome of years in Reds history. And we're going to start today with the first World Series championship team. You know what? Let's get into it. So I have with me today, this is the first segment that we're going to do of this this offseason. We're looking back at Reds awesomeness. And who better to help me? with the awesomeness of the Reds, than the man of many talents, the man who wears many hats. He's a content creator for the Reds Hall of Fame and Museum, and he he does a ton of different stuff. Mr. Cam Miller. Cam, how are you doing today, man? I am doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. I am very, very happy to have you on here because I love looking back on awesome things, and there's been plenty of awesomeness in the Reds' history. And today, I wanted to focus on that first... World Series team. I know we all remember it. The 1919 World Series championship. I know it was fraught with controversy and all this other stuff, but there have often been many people say that regardless if the Black Sox scandal happened or not, they still believe that the Reds would have won that World Series. Do you look back on that and get the same impression? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a funny thing because 
baseball is such, it's the only sport that, that it, it, I've always said it's, it's more of a, it's not really a uh, rock concert like, you know, the NFL is where it's heavy. And it's like the NBA, which is more jazz and, you know, you kind of bop around a little bit. It's more of a classical. You kind of just sit there and let things flow and you listen to all the parts and each piece in the orchestra has a certain role and you're kind of just there to take it all in. So baseball is this unique thing. So it being a unique thing, the way the ball bounces, literally, I mean, who knows what could happen. On paper, were the Reds better? Absolutely, no question about it. And that's been talked about and debated for 101 years now. <laughs> but if you really think about it, and if you look at each player and you match them up against each White Sox player, it really is um, – the Reds just had a stronger team. But that doesn't really mean that – I mean, look at every – Every World Series that's ever been played, you never know what's going to happen. There's been upsets. There's been, you know, teams that you would never have thought would have won that would win. I mean, it's just you never know how where the ball will bounce because of the strategy. If a pitcher gets hurt, that's the one thing about baseball that's different from all other sports is it's such a chess match. So could they have won on their own merit? Absolutely. And I and personally, I believe that they probably would have. But it's it's a tricky question because you just never ever know what will happen in nine innings on a baseball diamond <laughs> sure and it's easy to have you know hindsight as the winner as well it's easy for us to say well they would have won anyway you know but uh looking back on that right. team who was that team's leader who was that team's main man that carried the water and just got everybody excited well it's interesting. I did a film about, I guess it was 10 years ago on Ed Roush and the 19, we focused on him and we, you know, it wasn't really about the 1919 world series it was about him and his, how he led that team. He was an Indiana boy played for the reds and he was a no nonsense guy. And we had access to some of his later interviews and just the way he would talk about the team, he was dead set and we would have won that series. And I know my team. And so he was really, I would say they didn't really have a captain um, like they do, you know, like they did later, you know, they would name a captain. But I would definitely say um, that Ed Roush was the driving force behind that 1919. He was, I mean, as a matter of fact, he was named the most famous red in, in 1969. They picked the, who was the, the best red of all time, and it was Ed Roush. So even then, in 1969, when they were celebrating the 100 years, they thought so highly of him. So I would definitely say that Ed Roush kind of was the stir that, you know, the straw that stirred the drink. He kind of, he kind of made the machine go the early machine, I guess you should say, you should could say of 1919, because he, he was just a phenomenal player. I mean, you can't, you can't beat a, an outfitter like him. He did, he could do it all. I mean, if there was ever such thing as a five tool player, it would be Mr. Ed Roush. I know there's plenty of people that would argue just on pure talent alone, they know who the best center fielder is, but is Ed Roush the best center fielder in the history of the Reds? You know, that's a great question. I would say if you're talking about, if you're talking about hitting, fielding, um, and of course today with metrics and how we, we, you know, decipher baseball, it's so much different now. It's a lot harder to, to, to pick, but I would say that if, if not Roush, and if you're just looking at pure talent, it would Eric Davis might might sure. edge him out. And I know he had injuries, and I understand that you know what Eric went through, but just on the talent and the way he 
I, I would still to this day say that he would have been one of the best to ever play the game. We would have talked about Eric Davis in the same way we talk about Ken Griffey Jr. if he would have stayed healthy and was able to maintain some of that success. But And again, different eras, it's hard to judge. But Ed Roush was like that, that style of, of Eric Davis. He could, Of course, home runs weren't prevalent in 1919, but he could mash the ball. He could hit for average. He was, he covered so much ground uh, in center field. And back then when you covered ground, you covered ground. Those outfields <laughs> were monstrous um, in that, in that time frame of baseball. So it's tough to say, man, that's a great question. I would slightly give the edge to uh, Eric the red, but man, I would have loved to seen him play Ed Roush play in person. That would have been phenomenal. <laughs> He's definitely a dude. When I when I look back at Red Sister, I, l- I would have loved to have seen him play. When you look at that uh, pitching staff, who is who's the Johnny Cueto right. on that pitching staff? Ooh, that's a that's a great one. I mean, you had Hot Eller, you had Slim Sally, Jimmy Ring, Dutch Ruther, Fishy, Lukey. I mean, such a from top to bottom. Just I would say, not counting this current pitching staff because I believe this pitching staff that we've built now may be the best we've ever had and that's saying something but of course we've never had a Cy Young winner yet but I think that might change here in the next few years but this the 1919 pitching staff stacks up to me is the current one just phenomenal I would say Hod Eller man it's it's tough to say who was their ace they had so many great pitchers but Hod Eller was probably if I had to say was the you know, the glue of the pitching staff, somebody that you would want to have the ball in the last game of the World Series, it would be him, just a phenomenal pitcher. He doesn't get a lot of credit. Um, he doesn't get as much pub as some of the other ones do, you know, the Dutchers and the Ray Fishers of the world, and Lukey, of course, being the, the Cuban-born pitcher. Um, but, yeah, Hot, Hot Eller, man, just dominant. And I've seen footage of him uh, warming up um, in 19. 19- 19 and just watching him warm up he just looked like you knew he meant business there was no doubt about who was going to control that game when he went out on the mound so yeah definitely man hot hot eller top of the top that's one of the best things when i look back on baseball one of the things i love is just all the different names like you don't hear of anybody named hod anymore (laughs) that'd be awesome right (laughs) Right. there's something and that's there's something about names where it's like we're not even talking about nicknames we're talking about this is what they they grew up as a kid, not something like, you know, later on that a player would give them, you know, a name. These are names that the, most of these players grew up with. It was just that era, you know, that time um, where everybody had, they were never called you by William, you know, or, or Joseph. It was some crazy name. I mean, Slim Sally, <laughs> you know, Odd Eller. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you had a name like Jimmy, it was like, what? You've got to have something else. You can't just have you know, Jimmy. Come on. That's, that's too easy. Right. Right. You got... We need to bring that back. Oh, absolutely. We need a guy named Heine on the team. Got to have a guy named Heine. Uh, <laughs> oh, no question. Imagine the hashtags on Twitter for Heine. Are you kidding me? Come oh, on. All right, we'll have you back on the podcast again. We'll just go over hashtags for Heine. That's going to be the uh, <laughs> that'll be the topic. Oh. There you go. Uh, so real quick, as we kind of wrap up the, the 1919 World Champion team, uh, Say a couple of things about Pat Moran, because when you think about Reds managers in history, he's not really a guy that comes up. I think the 1919 team being so far back in the history of the Reds as it was kind of gets forgotten. Where does Pat Moran stack up? I mean, obviously Sparky is our goat as far as managers go, but where's Pat Moran stack up in that ranking? 
Man, that that is a great question. He does get often um, overlooked. I don't think he was really. I would not consider consider him a top tier manager in Reds history. I think he was more of a right place at the right time. Um, and I'm going to say something that may be blasphemous to some people, but I would consider him like Pete Rose and Pat Moran were of the same ilk. Okay. We're not the greatest strategist in the world, um, but those two guys really are similar in their styles and the way they would manage. They were player managers. They 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 did more feeling. They weren't. It wasn't about strategy as much with Pete, just like it wasn't strategy with Pat. I think Pat was more of a, I know my team. Now that's not a bad thing, but I think that sometimes it can be a bad thing if you are relying on your emotions as much and not about maybe some of the the inner you know, ways that you would manage a baseball team. And of course, at that time frame in, in, in baseball during that era, a lot different, of course, of how you would handle pitchers and, and, and how you would, you know, go about, um, you know, managing a nine inning baseball game. So he, he's not one of the all time greats, but he was, you know, he was good enough. And I think that's, they just needed somebody to kind of, to, to make the ship sail straight. And they didn't need a Lou Pinnell, a light of fire, you know, type of manager they just needed somebody that was going to make sure that hey we've got a great team here we've built a great team here let's just keep it on the straight and straight and and straight and narrow we'll be fine um but yeah i I wouldn't consider him um a hall of fame manager in the aspects of like uh i would say spark anderson um get and believe it or not i don't think we'll get to this later i'm sure but spark anderson is underrated as a manager if you ask me i don't think people give him enough credit for what he actually did as a manager but yeah, Pat Moran, good person, good man, tough as nails. But I would not consider him elite. That's good to know. I, I've always wondered just about stuff like when it comes to that team and looking at the different players because right. kind of like you said, the the one that we know the most is Ed Roush, and then outside of that, it's kind of a kind of a nebulous a little bit. Um, right. I mean, yeah, you got Heine Grove, of course, and you've got. You know the pitching staff that he that he that he you know had and he had to you know kind of maintain. It was pretty much giving the ball and them go out and do their thing, pitch seven eight innings. It was not. Um, they were just they weren't they weren't a team with a bunch of superstars, but they were a team of great players. I mean Jake Daubert, great player. Greasy Neal, another great nickname by the way. Greasy, great. come on, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, great player. Um, I, I mean you you have the nucleus of a, of a solid solid team. There was really not a weakness um, if you look at that team as a whole. So, again, and I think that's why, you know, you didn't have to worry about if there was more stars. I don't know if Pat Moran would have had much, as much success because of the egos and the things you would have to deal with on a psychological basis. But a bunch of baseball players, they were a bunch of guys that really could play baseball pretty good. And he just needed to keep them, keep them going. And there was no real reason to overstep his bounds. I think he was a – you know he was he was a great manager, um, but not an elite, really, really great manager that would you know you would talk in the likes of the same as Spark Anderson and, and those type of people. Well, that's the 1919 World Champion Reds. The next Reds awesomeness segment with Cam Miller, we're going to be talking about the 1940 Championship Reds baseball team. That'll wrap us up for today here on a Monday on the Locked On Reds podcast. If you have not already done so, make sure you are subscribed on whatever podcasting provider that you are currently using. Also, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs and follow the show at Locked On Reds. 
and save that Lockdown Reds line number into your phone at 513-549-015. I want to hear from you. We'll do question of the day throughout the week. No question of the day today. We kind of went a little bit long and all that good stuff, but uh, definitely make sure you get those into the Lockdown Reds line or on one of the Twitter handles I just provided. Thanks again for listening to the Lockdown Reds podcast. My name is Jeff Carr. I will talk to you guys tomorrow. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.